0: Today, as we close out our series, I want to talk to you about uh, what do you do when, what do you do when your kids rebel? In fact, what do you do when your kids kind of go astray in, in the way that you've taught them or what you wanted for them in, in their life? It, it's just a reality that this stuff happens. Some of you know it happens because well, you were that kid, and so uh, it's been. I it was kind of a part of, of your journey growing up. Others of you. Parenting, maybe right now, and you've had this happen, or it's going on right now with your own kids. Maybe you got some uh, situations going on in your home, maybe in the pre-adolescent or adolescent age, where they're doing some stuff that's scaring you. You're thinking, "I I don't know where this is going to go." So, I just want to kind of give you some helpers, what to do when it feels like your kids are rebelling, and especially when maybe they want to rebel and and head on out and go do their own thing in an unhealthy way. So, we're going to talk about that, and and. And sometimes we know this can happen to families that raise their kids in a very godly way. It still can happen. And, and 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 we see it happen in the Bible. I've been talking about in this series how some very godly parents had some kids come out really whack, you know, it's not not good. And I, I've highlighted, you know, I highlighted David in the series, Adam, Noah, Samuel's another one, Eli, Daniel. They all, you know, godly people, but they didn't always get it right. As, as parents or at least by their kids' choices. And so what do we do? I wanna look at a passage of scripture that's very famous and reveals uh, through that text to you, God's revealing to us as help on this particular topic. And the passage comes out of Luke chapter 15, very famous text, we've looked at it several times over the years here at our church. It's the story of the prodigal son and this story is a beautiful story about the portrait of our heavenly father and how he welcomes us home when we've been far from him. And that is something important in the story, but most people don't realize that it is just power-packed with all kinds of tips to offer parents when they feel like their kids are getting a little sideways in life. And what do we do? And so I wanna give you that. We're gonna walk through it kind of verse by verse and let you see this not only as a text and how much our Heavenly Father loves us, but what to do as parents when these moments happen. Luke chapter 15, verse 11, it says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. Jesus is sharing a parable. He's giving a little illustration story here. It says, the younger one said to his father, the younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now again, anytime I talk about this text, I like to highlight this important fact. Some of you are new to the faith, you're new to this text, and you don't you don't understand maybe some of it. And so i just really quick note here. This is a son probably... 16, 17, 18 years old, asking his father for his inheritance so he can leave the house. And during that culture, during that time, this would be the equivalent of the son saying to the father, you're dead to me. Give me my money. This would be very offensive to anybody. In fact, I'm quite sure in the year 2023, if one of your kids came up to you at that age and said, give me my money, I'm leaving now you'd find that offensive as a parent. And so I think still today, that would be a pretty ugly situation, but that's what's happening here. And so we see a kid and kind of in this rebellious stage, wanting his money, wanting to head out of the house. And that really is the first of three stages I wanna to talk to you about today in your notes. If you wanna write these down, first is stage one, and it is indeed rebellion, is rebellion, and, and, and when that rebellion kicks in, it, it can be a really nasty situation. You know, here's the thing. When you have a child, that whole journey uh, until they leave the home is a journey of teaching them responsibility, slowly but surely. When, when your child is first born, they are 100% dependent on you. That's true. As they grow older, it's our job as parents to slowly shift A little bit of that responsibility more and more, so that when they leave the home, they understand what responsibility is. Now, here's the great battle. Here's we know this. Here's the great battle: when to shift responsibility, when is too much, when is it not enough, right? Because you can fail to give your kids responsibility at all, and that can cause problems as well. Like right, when we we just do everything for them, that can be messy. Uh, but what happens to the tension from the children? they want responsibility sometimes quicker than they're ready or quick ready for or quicker than the parents want to offer. That tension of the kid wanting more and the parents saying you're not ready yet, it's always there. And some of you have felt that uh, very deeply over the years maybe in raising your own children. Verse 12 said, "Father, give me, give me, give me my share." I know what I need to do with my life. That's what the son is saying. I know what's better for me. Uh, Let me have what I deserve to have, and I want to take off. Verse 13, it says this. Not long after the younger son got all he had, got it all together, he set off for a distant country, and what did he do when he got there? And when he got there, he what? He squandered it, his wealth in wild living. Took his money, and he hit the strip. He went to Jerusalem, Vegas, and uh, got in his Camelac, and he partied it up, and you could imagine, you know, when a young person has that kind of money, and they don't know responsibility well, we could imagine what takes place in a moment like that, and we, you, many of us, you could probably point to moments where maybe that responsibility that the child wanted, they just weren't ready, and so they go off into rebellion. I'm splitting. I'm taking off. I know how to live my life, parents, better than you do. What do you do? What is the roadmap in Luke chapter 15 that God gives us as parents? Again, this text, not necessarily intended for parents, but a great guideline from Jesus on how to handle this. Do three things. Number one, well, number one, you're probably going to have to let them go you're, you're going to probably have to let them go. And this is so hard, and I don't want to pretend like it's not hard. There's an ending to this, and, so don't hear what I'm not saying, which is forget about them and write them off. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there may be a situation, a setting, where you just let them go. It, it said this, that the younger son set off for a distant country. Notice this. Dad didn't chase him down. Dad released him. Say, you want to do this? I'm going to let you experience what comes along with a moment like this. Now, it's hard to manage this because, first of all, I think if your 18-year-old child came to you and said, I want to bolt from the household, give me my money, give me my inheritance, I'm quite sure many of you would say, I am not, (laughs) you're not getting the money. Uh, you might let them go, but you say, uh, you know, like you're not getting, you're not getting the money here, and so you might think, well, it seems pretty foolish for the father to do this, like to give that inheritance and just let their kid take off. Whatever the case is, the father is simply saying, if this is what you think you're ready for, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you, you encounter this, and I think we all know this. The tighter we hold on to our kids in a moment like this, the messier the situation gets. We, we know that to be true. And that's why we get this modeling here of a moment where it says, hey, sometimes, you know what, you just come to that place and you let them go. Here's the next thing. You let them make their own mistakes. You let them make their own mistakes, right? That's a part of of teaching them responsibility. Now, no parent wants their kid to experience this high level of mistakes that this kid is going to experience in this uh, illustration, this parable, but we also know there come times where we just say, hey, you're going to have to experience mistakes in life. And so when our kids are in that transferring of responsibility, as they start getting into those adolescent years especially, we start teaching them responsibility. It's our goal as a parent to give them a little bit more, a little bit more and a little bit more, not like major stuff, but small stuff along the way. But the Bible tells us that this boy takes his money and he squandered his wealth in wild living. It it, it was probably a party at first and probably felt really good for the boy. But when it was all gone, that's when he discovered how messy this choice would be. And I want to say this. The fact is, rebellion is always a waste. There's always waste with rebellion. And when you're involved in rebellion, you are going to exhaust relationships, family relationships. You're going to exhaust friendships. You're going to exhaust money. You're going to exhaust resources. Uh, You're going to exhaust parts of your life that you wish you had not exhausted. So anytime rebellion takes place, there's always going to be some waste. But what we see here is a portrait of a father says, if you want to waste this part of your life, I'm going to let you encounter that. Do you think the father knew this would go ugly? Yes, he knew it. Do you think he probably wished his son wouldn't head for that trouble? Of course. Do you think he probably wanted to write letters to his son and say, you're making a huge mistake here? Probably did. But He lets the son experience some of the mistakes that come with these choices. Proverbs 20 and verse 30 says, Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. Does anybody know that to be true? Come on. When you're comfortable in something, you don't change. Right? What's the old saying is, We'll change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so, okay, it's finally time. I can't stay this way any longer. I've got to make that decision. This is a part of transferring that responsibility to our kids, letting them make some of these mistakes along the way is teaching them some of those life pains from some of those unhealthy decisions. This boy is experiencing it in a very hardcore way. There are all kinds of unhealthy ways this plays out for a parent. I mean, think about it. I mean, I was talking to a psychologist therapist recently and she was telling me how her problem with what she did with her kids is she never gave responsibility, right? Every time the kids made mistakes in her home, she just covered, she just kind of took it on and she did everything for them. She didn't test them enough the way she thought she should test them. And so when they left the home, they weren't ready to deal with mistakes and they were unraveling in that kind of way. So, right, we can protect our kids too much, and that can be a problem, and then, of course, we could probably be completely irresponsible as a parent and not give them that balance along the way, and so it is a challenge for us as parents, and we're not perfect, but in the end, when we're dealing with rebellion, we we let them go, we're going to let them make their mistakes, and then the third thing is this, we let them reap the consequences of their choices. We let them discover the price tag that comes with rebellion that shouldn't be a shocker. The Bible tells us that we reap what we sow. So if you want to sow unhealthy living in your life, you're going to reap that as a part of your life. And Now, there are consequences taking place. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs, and he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. Man, after he spent everything, he began to be in need. This is called the rock bottom moment. This is the moment of the deepest pain for this boy. He's going through hard times. He's realizing the party is over. He's broke. He's friendless. He's got empty pockets and empty life and an empty stomach. Do you think this would be so hard? This, this would be, let's be honest, this would be a knife in a, in a parent's heart. Like, that's what this... Guys, going through this father. This is painful and by the way it's embarrassing. Their kid Jewish kosher living is in the pig slop. It's his kid is eating with the pigs. This is an embarrassing thing going on for the parents. They're hurting deeply over the decisions of their son, but still knowing all of that, we're given this this text to remind us that there are times where though we may hurt and though it may be painful to see, we will allow them to experience these moments. I do want to stop right here and say there are some times where parents see their kids making mistakes and they blame themselves too much and they take on the burden of like all this is happening because it's all my fault. And I've watched that happen. I, I've heard parents who've got twenty-something-year-old kids making mistakes, and they're blaming themselves. The parents are, and and you do have to this is what, you have to communicate a lot with your heavenly Father about this because it can be very tempting to blame yourself. But you have to remember, when they get outside the home, they have all kinds of things now you can't control. Uh, the the influences they have with their friends, the things that they're watching online, the, the there's just stuff you can't control any longer. And they are facing their own choices, and they are making their own choices. And, and there's just some things where you have to say, i got to let this go. And I've watched many parents waller in guilt and shame over the choices their kids are making after they've left the home. And we got to be very careful about that. Is it possible you failed in some things? Yes, but they're in a place now to make their decisions and experience the natural consequences. In the end, we see this portrait of, hey, son, I'm not going to enable you. Isn't it true that we could enable our kids too much? Of course. Cuz I'm not I'm not going to I'm not going to enable you in this situation. Stage 2 though is this: reevaluation and regret. Re-reevaluation and regret. This is the place where we see the son coming to where he's going, you know, holy smokes, I've made a mistake. Verse uh, Seventeen, Luke 15 verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. I'm gonna set out, I'm gonna go back to my father, I'm gonna say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son, M- make me like one of your hired men. When he comes to his senses, that's a, a key part of the text here, that's the portrait of, oh my goodness, this I, this is bad. I'm coming to the realization that I gotta go a different direction. This is a difference in attitude. It's a portrait of submission. It's a portrait of re-evaluation. He's like, I have nothing left where I'm at. He said, rock bottom, I heard a pastor once say this about this text, about the boy. He sold his coat for food he sold his shirt for food, he sold his shoes for food, he sold his pants for food, and that was the moment where he came to himself. <laughs> yeah, that, it's, that's that moment where it's like, it's me, <laughs> this is all I have. And when you come to that moment where you realize like this is it, like I, I, there's nothing else left, that can be the moment where many times we see people decide, I'm waking up to the decisions that I've made and I want to come back to a different way of living. And this is a fact of life that we don't like to hear, we don't like to talk about, but we never change until we get desperate. Some of your kids, some of you have kids right now. And they've rebelled, they're out of the home. And the bottom line is, you're praying for them, but, but they're not desperate right now. And they're not in the position where they really actually want to experience a change in their life. The boy says, I want to go back and, and I want to I go back to what I knew and I want to have more than I have right now. He has experienced something that every one of us have experienced or will experience at some time or another in our lives. He went to the college that many of you have been to, the school, the school of hard knocks. And he's been hit over the head so many times. What do we do though, I put in your notes, while we're waiting for that child to come Back to make that decision to live right in their life. What do we do along the way? I put these in your notes. The first thing is this pray. And don't take that lightly. There is power in prayer. Now they have to make their own choice, but you can pray. The Holy Spirit of God will prompt them to turn away from the way that they've been living and come back home. And so that's the first thing. You pray. You pray, you pray. Some of you can attest to what I'm about to say. My kids exited the home. I feel like I'm praying more for them than I ever did before. But you pray, no matter what's going on, you're constantly praying for your kids. Here's the next thing. You commit them to God. This is the portrait of control. I can't control them. I'm gonna release control. God, I'm gonna give you control and authority. I, there's nothing I can do here to make a difference. At the, the end of the day, God, I need you to take authority and control. And then the last thing is wait patiently. Don't short circuit God's discipline plan. Don't try to enable them. Let the process play out. This is hard to do, but when you pray, when you commit it to God and you wait patiently, you're setting yourself up to be in position to say, okay, God, what are you gonna do in this moment? Here's the third stage in your notes is the return. It's the return. And how you handle the return of that son or that daughter that's gone off into rebellion is critical. It's just as critical as what you're doing while they're away from the ideals and the values that you have held in your family. What do you do when they come back? Verse 20. The boy, he gets up and he went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I see three things the father models in the return that we should model in those moments. Here it is. The first one, he loved that son faithfully. Never stopped loving him. Loved him all the way to the return. It's a tough love sometimes, but it's a faithful love. It's also a stubborn love that says, I will never give up on you no matter what has taken place in your life. I am here to stand for you and to remind you that no matter what you've experienced, I love you. Your kids may have been in jail for a night or more. They may have hit some low place. Maybe they're dealing with an unwanted pregnancy, maybe some sort of drug addiction that they've been dealing with in their life. And we may not like those things, but we are loving them through the process. And we see a portrait of a father who no matter what it is that the son has done, and it was embarrassing, and it was a knife in the heart, and it was hurtful for them to see it, he still loves his son. And that's the the second thing, leads me to the second thing in your notes. He accepted the child unconditionally, an unconditional love that they accept the child, he accepts the child when the child comes home. Here, look what it says. He ran to the son, threw his arm around him and kissed him. What a moving picture of acceptance. I know what you've been through, but I still accept you back home. There were no preset conditions for the child to experience the love of the father as he came back home. And I wouldn't have blamed the father, honestly. I would not have blamed the father if the father had said, hey, I want to hug you, but could you get a bath? Like, you are crusty nasty. You stink. Go get a haircut, go get a bath, and well, let's hug it out. I, I wouldn't have blamed, really, the father for that. I mean, there's no condition here. He just runs to the sun and embraces the sun, And I love the fact that there was an embrace. And that's the physical side of love. And our kids need that physical side of love as well, those hugs. They're important. But there's something else taking place here that I want to address. Sometimes a parent will say to me, well, Pastor Gary, or maybe it's not a parent, but they're talking about somebody they care about. How can I accept them pastor Gary without approving of what they've done and my answer to you is you don't have to accept them and approve and you shouldn't if they've made unhealthy choices sinful choices in their life you don't approve of that but you can there's a difference between acceptance and approval so we can accept them home But we don't have to sit there and go, okay, I love all the things you did. It's okay. You just keep doing those things that you did. That's not what's taking place here in this early initial moment. It's just this portrait of acceptance. I'm sure that the kid understood that there was some truths about his life that he needed to reevaluate already. Like, he's probably figured some things out in this moment, but notice the Father didn't talk about all of the mistakes that were made in this moment. It was just this portrait of acceptance, and it breaks down the barriers in a moment like that. Of course, as Christians, we are called to bring people to the Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father will accept them no matter what the stench of their sin is on them in their life. But as Christians, we're not called to approve of their lifestyle. And the Bible doesn't tell us to approve of their lifestyle. The Bible says that Jesus is full of grace. We talked about this before. And truth. We live in a world today where everybody wants the grace side of Jesus. Well, Jesus would love them. Jesus would love them. Yes, but we'd also give them the truth. He would also say, go and sin no more. So Jesus gave that grace and the truth, there's a balance of that that we see over and over in the scriptures. But our first reaction here is grace. Don't forget, though, that the situation is all set up by the son's confession. Confession builds the pathway. Confession builds the pathway to the change that's about to take place, to the acceptance of the son. I put in your notes, the son's confession in verse 21 is key. Father, I have sinned against heaven And against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Let's not forget that this is a text of a reminder of how God sees you and I. And in that relationship with you and I, what is God's first requirement for you to encounter his embrace is you confess to him the mistakes that you've made. This boy has already entered into that confession, and the father is now embracing him when he arrives home. You and I, we do that in our spiritual journey as believers. We come to our heavenly father. We admit the mistakes that we've made. If we want to begin that spiritual journey with God, it requires an ownership of the mistakes to say, I did this, God, and now, God, I need your help. That's what confession is. When the child comes home in this moment, that embrace is important, but that confession sets the table for the reconciliation. And I think because this is a story about a perfect father, this is a story about God and his love for us, and so he is a perfect father, I think it is also important to remember that sometimes as parents we've made mistakes. Again, we're not the perfect heavenly father that's laid out in this example here in the text. If you're a parent, you've messed it up before. And so sometimes a part of that confession time is the parents you know, being willing to say, and, and, and I made a mistake or two along the way. And I'm willing to own up. I said at the very beginning, anytime we want to set a change in the way we're parenting, the one of the big things that keeps us from ever experiencing that change in parenting is being willing to go to our kids and say, I got it wrong. Go before God and say, I've gotten it wrong. It sets the table for change. And that's what's being modeled here in this text. And sometimes, in order for the reconciliation to happen, we are confessing to one another our mistakes. So we love them faithfully. We accept them unconditionally. And then number three, we forgive them completely. If they want to come home, we forgive them completely. And you see the completeness of it right here in the text. It says, but the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, let's feast and celebrate. I love the fact that as God's modeling his love for you and I and humanity, he doesn't rub it in when we come home. I think that would really be a hindrance, wouldn't it be to coming to the heavenly father. I think some people think that when they if they got faced with a decision to come to know God, they'll they'll think that, well, I can't come to God because I've made so many mistakes and he's gonna be real upset with me. So I, I just gotta, gotta stay over here. God doesn't operate that way. He wants to bring you into family and bring restoration immediately to your life. I think some people, they think God's gonna rub it in. Hey, you know what? Here's all the mistakes you've made. You're gonna go in the corner for three years and pay the price for the mistakes that you've made. God doesn't do that. His parents, when our kids decide they want that reconciliation, we don't sit them off in the corner for that. We say, okay, now that we understand what it is that we're focused on, let's move forward in something new and the real truth about how we ought to operate. The kid didn't need a sermon. The kid didn't need a lecture. He wanted to come home and experience the love of his family. And the father doesn't rub it in. He actually gives his kid a a second chance. And this is modeled by a couple of things that I want to point out to you in the text. It said that they put a robe on him. What is the robe indicative of? Of, of family. It's the family robe. It's, it's the robe that says, you're home. You're one of us. And so that, that's, that, uh, that's that beautiful portrait. Again, going back to the bigger picture of what this text reveals, God and his love for humanity. When you come to the heavenly father, God says, welcome to the family. You're in the royal priesthood. He puts the robe on us and says, hey, you're in this now with me. And the father is modeling that as well. Say, hey, you're here. And then it says he put a ring on his finger. It's a sign of responsibility. This would have been like a family signet ring. And it would have, it would have been a representation that the kid now has full rights to everything in the home. Think about that for a second. He had just blown so much. And the father welcomes him back and says, you have rights to the home. You have responsibility now back here in our home. That's so key, right? Because if you've been beat down in this life that you're living, it's very tempted to kind of sink back. I could never be great again. I've made a lot of mistakes. I'll never be able to advance. The father doesn't let the son take that approach of sinking back. He says, it's time for you to be tested with responsibility again. It's time for you to get on the right path. He doesn't make the kid, again, pay this price and go to the back of the line. That's a powerful statement from a father to a son who's just seemingly squandered all of his responsibility. A typical reaction for a child in this moment might be a waller in those mistakes. You know, this is why so many kids today are so gullible, easily follow things like gangs or groups of people that are unhealthy. They'll be followers, followers, right? You hear a lot of young people today say, I wanna be my own unique identity. And you should want that because God made you unique. But they're not living unique, they're following. They've been so beat down, they don't know what great leadership is in life all they can do is follow others because they feel like they should be kind of in the back of the line. They need to catch on with another group. I could only be somebody who sits on the sidelines and does X, Y, and Z. When the boy in the story said, I just wanna be a servant, what he was saying is, I can't handle anything big. I could never lead any longer. I got to stay back here. And we see a lot of young people who are unhealthy in their life about things they've learned, taught, experienced. That's all they want to do. Just somebody else, take the reins. I can't do it. God says, no, no, that's not what I want for you. I want you to discover more leadership. I want you to discover a life where you and your unique identity are the things that God has laid out for you in your life. I think this story is a powerful story of a loving father. In fact, I would say this, if I could, you know, in the text, it's known as the parable of the prodigal son. If I could rename it, I might call it the parable of a heroic father. I can't rename it because I can't tell the Bible what to do, but but it, it would be a good secondary story anyways to say, this is a portrait of a heroic father who understood some real truths about how to handle a rebellious son. The story, though, does represent exactly how God deals with us. Every day, it's potential for you and I to say things like, I'm going to do it my way, God. I know you have a plan for this particular thing I'm facing, but I'm going to do it my way. Every day, we have the ability in our own flesh to make our own decisions and rebel towards God. And the Bible says that every time you decide to go your own way and do your own thing, you're always, 100 times out of 100, going to experience a brokenness from that rebellion. We we know this. The truth plays this out over and over in humanity. What is that wallowing with the pigs and eating pig slop? look like for you and I? Well, it's things like worry and guilt and fear and bitterness, boredom, depression, financial debt, exhausting our families over financial possessions that we went away from God on so that we could have all these things that we wanted. Stress, pressure, marriage issues because we don't have time together any longer because we're involved in other things. Sexual brokenness, parenting brokenness, all of this becomes a part of this journey of wallowing with the pigs from our own personal decisions. But what does God do for us? He says, if you're willing to confess that brokenness and those choices and turn to him, he will welcome you home. He'll meet you on that road back home. He'll hug you, embrace you. He will put the robe on you. He'll put the the ring on your finger. He's gonna put the sandals on your feet and he's gonna have a party celebrating as you come home to him. I'll challenge you, some of you, like that's the step you need to take today. This is not about a father-son, father-daughter thing, a parent thing for you. This is a story of you just needing to come home to a heavenly father that wants you to come home and he's been waiting. Others of you, maybe you're a parent here and you realize some of your own personal mistakes and you want to just confess those to God and maybe you've got a child that is rebelling and I have no idea what maybe you're going through right now in, in your own pain but I could imagine what that feels like more importantly our heavenly father does our heavenly father know what it's like to have kids rebel yes because that's us and so when you go to a heavenly father and you talk to him and you pray and you commit things to him he says yeah I know the pain you're feeling and he begin you begin to immerse in his love and his care for you some of you are you're a young person here and You're in the middle of this right now, rebelling or in the squalor or whatever it may be. But you know, oftentimes when a kid's involved in rebellion, what they don't understand is that it's affecting everybody around them. They don't get it, right? It's very easy for a kid to rebel and say, what's your problem? This is my choice. It's not affecting you, mom and dad. This is about me. This is what I want to do. And so get out of my business. I want to do life my own way. Hear me, if you're a young person here and you think that your rebellion is not affecting anybody, that is a lie and it is so obviously a lie that you are buying into something that the enemy loves people to buy into, that my mistakes aren't gonna affect anybody else around me. Don't buy into that lie. We're all in this journey together, especially as family. And if you are rebelling, your family is hurting. I'll just set it up. In a very easy to understand illustration, let's just say our family, my, your family, you're out in a boat together in the middle of the Gulf, and you're stranded. And the motor's not working, and you're drifting, and you're just hoping to kind of stay afloat until there's a rescue. But then you are sitting on a seat in the boat, and you take out a sharp object from where you're seated, right there by your seat, and you start stabbing with this, stabbing the hull of the boat over and over and over again. Your parents say, "Hey, what are you doing?" What do you, don't you understand what's gonna take place here? We're gonna all sink because of the choices that you're making. You say, it's not gonna affect you, it's just my seat that I'm doing this in. Of course, it's not gonna just affect you and your seat. It's gonna affect everybody on the boat. We're all in this journey together. Heck, for me as a parent, when I make bad decisions for my family, will it affect my family? you know that. Yes, it affects, if I, as the pastor of this church and the bigger family that I have, if I commit a moral failure, a brokenness in my own life, does it affect you? Yes, of course it does. It's a big responsibility. Maybe you don't have that kind of responsibility, but as a parent, as a child, we're connected together in that family. Everything, it affects everybody around you. Don't buy into that lie that you are just doing it all on your own. And so maybe today, some of you are turning to God about your sin your things you're turning just to the heavenly father about. Maybe as a parent, you're dealing with your own personal confession. Maybe you're a young person, been rebelling. You're going to turn back to the ways of your family and the values that they want for you. Let's pray together. God, we are reminded through your word, we have this nature in us to rebel against you, God, sometimes against parents, family, choices that we're making. We thank you, Lord, for the roadmap that you've given us, God, of your love for us and love for par- that parents can have for their kids in broken times. God, there's somebody here in this audience. This is a large gathering and there's somebody here and they're just involved in a bit of rebellion towards God right now. God would remind you through his text. This is right out of Jesus' mouth. God's one and only son said, hey, if you come to the Father and you admit, you confess and say, God, I haven't gotten it right, he will embrace you. Until then, you have this barrier kind of there, but you can cross that barrier by just confessing right now from where you're seated, just you and him saying, God, I've messed this up in my life. I've sinned, I've made unhealthy choices, but I'm ready to come home and turn to you, God. God. I believe in the gift of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sin. God, I'm ready to be washed and cleansed of my sin today. Right now, you can do that where you're seated. God, I'm ready to start this new life. I'm turning to this new family. I'm turning to these new ways in my life. I receive that forgiveness, that unconditional love. Right now, God. Others of you, you're just turning to God. You're maybe already Christian, but you're turning to God about some bit of rebellion in your own life or in your own family or decisions that you've made saying, God, forgive me. Maybe you're gonna reach out to a family member and, and confess that you've, you've made some mistakes that you wanna live. Maybe if you're in the home, you wanna be in the home, you're gonna live under their authority and under the plan that they have for you in your life and you're gonna trust your parents and their parenting. Father, we know that every time rebellion enters the picture, waste and brokenness takes over. Now, help us to see that follow your design. In Jesus' name, amen.